There's some things in life that don't matter. Like whether or not your socks match. Now, I work really hard to make sure that my socks match. When, when I get them out of the laundry, I, I sort them out and make sure that everything's uh, exactly uh, matched correctly and that I have them in the right place in my drawer so that I can find them and, and, and bring them out. But every now and then it happens. This morning I noticed I'm wearing one navy blue and one black sock. But you know what? In my 56 years of being on this earth, I have never been asked, hey, do your socks match? It's never happened with all that work and all that time that I have spent trying to make sure that my socks match. It really doesn't matter all that much. Nobody else cares. Something in life don't matter all that much, but some things matter profoundly. Paul writes his letter that we call 1 Corinthians in part to correct a misunderstanding amongst believers in Corinth who for various reasons had come to the understanding that the resurrection of Christ didn't really matter. Paul corrects that dangerous misconceptions by describing what we lose if there is no resurrection. And he concludes with what we gain through the resurrection. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin reading with verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Folks, Easter matters. If Christ did not raise from the dead. We lose a lot. The Corinthians did not seem to understand what it would mean if there was no resurrection. Now that debate probably comes from some who, uh, perhaps from a, a background of Greek philosophy, had been teaching that there was no resurrection of the dead. Not only did Christ not resurrect from the dead, but nobody did. It, you just died. It was just all over. You, you just ended when things came to a close. Well, Paul describes how devastating that kind of thought is. In verse 13, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And in the verses that follow, Paul outlines like one domino causing another domino to fall, causing another domino to fall, and what it would all mean. In verse 14, he describes how his preaching would be useless and the Christian faith would be pointless. In verse 15, he describes how throughout all time, men, women, the Scripture itself, had been lying about God if there was no resurrection. Verse 17, if there was no resurrection, he describes how we would still be in our sin. In verse 18, he describes how if there was no resurrection, those who die, even in faith, would still have no hope. In verse 19, he describes how if there was no resurrection, those who follow Christ would be pitied most of all. That's quite a list. It's basically... Everything that Paul and his fellow believers stood for, his ministry, his missionary journeys, the churches he founded, all of that would be for nothing. What's more, all the times he'd been in prison, all the times that he'd been beaten, 
The times he had been threatened with execution, that was for nothing as well. If there was no resurrection, then there was no faith. There was no hope. Paul was very direct in verse 19. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. It's no surprise that Paul would speak so strongly and so passionately about the resurrection. He knew that without the resurrection, he had nothing. In any recipe, there's typically an ingredient that if you take that ingredient out, you don't have that recipe anymore. Meatloaf isn't meatloaf without meat. Mashed potatoes are not mashed potatoes without potatoes. Pumpkin pie isn't pumpkin pie without pumpkin. Now, now I know folks who, for whatever dietary reason, they, they can't eat a certain food. And so they create recipes that, that don't have the things that, that they can't have. Tofu casserole, anyone? Well, anyone who's ever been on a diet like that, and I know I've been on one of those diets, they can tell you, you live on tofu, but it's not meatloaf without meat. It's not potatoes without the potatoes. It's not pumpkin pie without the pumpkin. Paul realized that losing the resurrection was more than just a dietary restriction. Losing the resurrection meant losing everything. This morning, we celebrate the pivotal event in our faith. Others in history have been good teachers. Others in history have done amazing things. Others in history have been unjustly executed. But no one else in history has risen from the grave. We're not here just to celebrate a holiday. We are here this morning because our Savior lives. Without that, we lose everything. Our faith in Christ is not just a series of rules that we follow. Our faith in Christ is not just a hopeful way of thinking. Our faith in Christ is not just some helpful philosophy. Our faith is in the living, risen Lord. We lose everything without that. But knowing that Jesus is resurrected changes everything. Last week, we looked at the verses preceding this passage where Paul gave evidences for the resurrection. You'll remember these. His, his resurrection was foretold in the Scripture. His death on the cross was for a purpose, to pay for our sin. He was buried. There was no faked coma or faked death. He really was dead. He was raised from the tomb in three days, just as the Scripture had foretold. And there were eyewitnesses. There was Peter. There were the disciples. There was James. There were 500 other believers, many of whom were still alive when Paul was writing the words of 1 Corinthians. And Paul himself had met the risen Savior when meeting Jesus was the last person that Paul would have imagined meeting. And on that Damascus road, meeting Christ changed everything. 
for Paul. The evidence was overwhelming. Now remember, the people who were reading this letter could have verified what Paul was saying as being true or not. They could have contacted those witnesses and asked them, is this what you really saw? Is this what really happened? And as we saw last week, Paul made it very clear he was not just recounting some mythological story. He was not just recounting some religious philosophy. He was describing what actually happened. Now, that being the case, Paul describes what we gain in the resurrection. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ is in fact risen from the dead. We worship him this morning because of that reality. But there's more. Paul calls the resurrection of Christ the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits were obviously the, the first fruit of the harvest. And they were brought to the temple as a, as a sacrifice, as a, as a sign of thanksgiving to the Lord that once again he had provided the harvest to his people. Now obviously the first of the harvest meant there would be more to come that first Apple on the tree meant that soon there would be a bushel basket. So Christ, risen from the dead, is proof that He provides everlasting life to us. Those who have gone on before us in faith have not died without hope. They have life because He lives. We have hope. Because he lives. Now we understand the problem. We all, every one of us, from Adam right down to today, we suffer from the same reality. We all die. Death is a calamity that we also recognize that we brought on ourselves. We did this. It's the outcome of our sin. We brought this on ourselves. But in Christ, we have life. In His resurrection, we have the hope of our resurrection. Today, we don't just recount some words of theology. We don't just tell a nice story. As we sang a few moments ago, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Now, that familiar song, we know those words. We, we sing them with joy and, and a full heart this morning. But a lot of people don't know the background of that song. Bill and Gloria Gaither uh, wrote the music and the words to that particular song, right after the birth of their child. 
And, and all of us know that feeling when you, when you have that child and you brought the child home and, and holding that newborn baby and all of a sudden the news report comes on and war has broken out somewhere. Another news account comes on of, of some drug bust right in the middle of town. Another news account comes on of some religious cult doing some weird thing. And as you're holding that little child, you're wondering, what have I brought this child into? And that's what had happened to them. They'd come home with this newborn baby, and all of a sudden, all the danger and the heartache of the world just came crashing in upon them. And then they describe it, it was like the Lord blew through their home like a cool breeze. And they wrote the second stanza of that song. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still, the calm assurance. This child can face uncertain days because he lives. What we celebrate today changes everything because He lives. We can face our sin-sick world with hope. Because He lives, we can serve Him even in the face of adversity. Because He lives, we know that the crises of this life do not win. Because He lives, I know that one day I'm going to see my mom again and my dad again and a sister that I've never even met. She died before I was old enough to know who she was. I'm going to meet her again as well as all those who have gone on before. Because He lives, we know that even death itself does not separate us from God's love. Life is worth the living just because He lives. Heavenly Father, on this Easter Sunday morning, we gather together to give you praise. For what we know this morning is more than just a nice story. It's more than just another holiday. Heavenly Father, today we celebrate the fact that our Savior lives. God, help that understanding Encourage us. There are many across this room that are facing crises today in their life. They're, they're facing difficulty in their own life. They're facing difficulty in the life of a family member or of a friend. And it's weighing upon them heavenly. Heavenly Father, help them to see that life is worth the living. Because He lives. And Heavenly Father, we recognize that all around this city, even today, this morning, on this day that we celebrate, there are others in neighborhoods around us, in homes, in apartments, that they're not celebrating today because they don't know. They don't understand the transforming power of a resurrected Savior because they've never personally come to faith. So help us to do what it takes to bring that message to them. God, I pray You'd bless these next four weeks as, as folks will gather together down in, in room 532 right here in this church to be encouraged and, and to learn some effective tools they can use to share this message of Jesus with our world. God, I pray that You will open the hearts of people around us as we go to work, as we go to school, as we enter our neighborhoods, that, that we will recognize Your Holy Spirit is at work, that we will share the risen Savior.
with our world today. God, even right now, we pray that you would work in this place. Maybe there's someone here this morning that for whatever reason, they've never personally trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they thought it didn't matter. God, help them to see it it matters. In fact, it's the most important truth of all history. Because He lives. Help us, Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.